Would you stand as we read God's Word? We're going to be reading from a couple different chapters tonight, uh, so follow along with me if you, if you would. Chapter 23, verses 2 through 9. And Sarah died at Kirith Arbor, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, and Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burial place, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord. You are prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us would withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land, and he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar, and he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which is is his own. It is at the end of his field for the full price. Let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Genesis 24, 12 through 15. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young women, let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink and who shall say, drink and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. Verses 62 and 67. Now Isaac had returned from Berlahiroi and was dwelling in the Negev, and Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife. And he loved her, and so Isaac was comforted after the death of his mother. Chapter 25, verses 7 through 11. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zor, Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. And after the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Berlohai. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Benjamin Wilson, Jr., Born March 18, 1967, an American high school blue-chip basketball player. 
Simeon High School in Chicago, Illinois. 6'8", 190 pounds. Many said Magic Johnson with a jump shot. If any of you know Magic Johnson. He led his school to their first state championship ever, ever in the history of the school. It was in 1983 and 84. He was named the ESPN Best Junior Player in the Nation. In the summer of his season, senior season, he attended an invitation-only Athletes for a Better Education at Princeton. By the end of that camp, he was ranked by ESPN the number one player in America. Probably never heard of him, have you? November the 20th, 1984. Typical normal school day at Simeon High School. Benjamin decides not to eat lunch with his teammates in the cafeteria. His girlfriend, in whom he had a child with, were having issues. They went out in front of the school. He bumped into a kid. Little did he know the kid had a gun. He exchanged words. Two shots were fired. One to the abdomen, one to the groin. Forty minutes later, 40 minutes later, the ambulance arrives. Protocol at that time in Chicago was getting to the nearest hospital. Well, they did. The hospital had no trauma unit. His brother said when he got to the hospital, he noticed that his feet were pale. And he realized he wasn't getting blood to his feet. It cut the main artery in his leg. His mom was a nurse. She knew real quickly that he probably wasn't going to make it. Realizing he'd probably be a vegetable the rest of his life, she took him off life support. It's a tragic story. After his death, the whole city of Chicago just sort of mourned. What a massive blow to encounter his parents, right? You send your kid to school one day. <laughs> He's dead later on that evening. I think what made his death hard, if you get a chance, watch his... ESPN documentary. I watched it about three years ago, and I, I don't know why, but I just wept through the whole thing. And I, I, that usually doesn't happen in watching stuff like that, but there was just something about this future and these dreams and these aspirations. I mean, he's the best player in the country. Probably would have become an NBA star, maybe have won an NBA championship. Who knows? He may have been... Colby Bryant. Visions and expectations suddenly shattered like a hot air balloon that suddenly pops, right? And then there's just this vast fall of just hopeless despair. It's like you get this foretaste of glory, you know, this foretaste, this appetizer of what this kid might be. And then just death just swallows it up. 
swallows it up. You know, in one sense, no matter how long you live or what you accomplish in this life, it always seems incomplete, doesn't it? Now, you'd think someone like a Kobe Bryant, I mean, all that he accomplished, you would think there would, there would be some kind of, but there's an incompleteness about his life, right? Expecting him to grow old with his family, inducted into the Hall of Fame, and then just all of a sudden it's, it's gone. There's something about this life that leads us and leaves us <laughs> without consummation, without completeness. Questions that come up. I could have done better, right? I could have, I could have done more. I could have accomplished more. I could have been a better mom, a better dad, a better friend. There's just no full glory in this life, is there? As much as we want completeness in a full, full life, we just get a taste of glory. We just get sort of these deposits of glory. But no consummation in this life. That's hard. That's hard to carry around every day as people. Listen to Hebrews eleven thirteen. It was read earlier. Listen to it. These all died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Sounds real close, doesn't it? Real close. They saw this promise from afar. But they never really received the fullness Chapter 23 is about the death of Sarah. Abraham and Sarah have been sojourners all their lives. You know, I think about that. I think about Sarah and what a faithful wife she was. She followed Abraham all over the place, man. He put her through so much stuff, and I'm just thinking, man, she was a faithful woman. She was a faithful woman. She's dead. Abraham's mourning her death in chapter 23. Twenty-four, you have Isaac. He's the seed, the promised child that God has given Abraham and Sarah. But he, does, he doesn't have any seeds, right? He doesn't have any children. And Abraham's soon going to die in chapter 25. So there's some huge questions here, right? This is the father of our faith, the one that God promised all these great promises of land <laughs> and people and nations. There's no land, God. There's no land. In fact, God, there's not even any land to bury my dead wife. Oh yeah, and by the way, God, I, I'm living in the midst of my enemies, the Hittites. Not a tangible piece of property. Nothing. And yes, Lord, I've received the promised child. 
that that's a long way from this nation of people that you've promised. Numerous as the stars in the sky. Oh, and by the way, Isaac's 40. He's not a spring chicken. I'm sure Abraham had a lot of questions. And then Abraham himself will be dead soon in chapter 25. You know, you come to these passages in the Scripture and, you know, I think about the city of Chicago mourning that tragic superstar, the kid they loved. And you can sort of find yourself sitting in these passages wondering, God, when's completion coming? When's the consummation of things coming? When is the fulfillment of all these promises coming? Sarah dies, no grandkids. She doesn't get to bounce any grandkids on her knee. Not one time. This is the mother of our faith. She's wandered her whole life. She's a sojourner. And God hasn't even given her husband a place to bury her. Makes you want to ask, God, where's the promise of blessing? Where's the promise of blessing here? You know, you read stuff like this and you're like, I don't know where these people come up with this health, wealth, prosperity stuff. Surely the patriarch and the matriarch of the Christian faith, those hands selected by God to begin his new people, who would become a kingdom of priests for the entire world, surely they get to gain some elite status, right? Surely they get a pass on suffering. But no, Sarah and Abraham's life are lives of common sorrow, old age, burying your loved ones, pain, suffering, loss, mistakes, right? Still sojourners, started sojourners, still sojourners, living in the midst of their enemies. Sounds like 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we'll see face to face. You see, these past 13 chapters that Ben and I have preached through have been about a particular man and woman, Abraham and Sarah, There's a very real sense as we've studied this that their trials are our trials. That their sufferings are our sufferings. That their struggles are our struggles. That their tears and their disappointments are our tears and our disappointments. Their unanswered questions are our unanswered questions. Isn't that amazing how God does that with His Word? And just like them, sometimes it seems like God's promise is just barely hanging on, doesn't it? Sometimes we're like, God, where are you? So fragile. And from our perspective, it's like God's promise is fixing to be swallowed up. 
God's church in America is fixing to just off the cliff. From our perspective, that's how things can seem. From Abraham and Sarah's perspective, I'm sure they had questions. And I think it's at those times that we want God to show up like with a big bang, right? We want God to show up like He did sometimes in the Old Testament with these massive armies and just rescue us. That's what we desire. That's what we want. The fireworks. We want God to take the Q-beam and put it on us and say, hey, here's some light. But God doesn't do that very often. He does do it some in the Scriptures. But most of the time, it comes with a small whisper. God's answer comes in a small, subtle way. First Kings 17, the widow of Zarephath. It's not this flash and bang, but God provides for Elijah through this widow, provides him with food. And you know the story, every morning there's still food in the, in the flower, there's still food, there's still food. Every day God keeps providing food. And then Genesis 8 and 11, you see Noah, he, he's... He's looking for something from the Lord, like, God, where are you after this flood? And then what, what? He sends out this dove, and it comes back with a little green leaf in its mouth. God's people in slavery for 400 years in Egypt, and you're like, God, when are you going to show up? And he does show up with, with Pharaoh with some amazing things. But first, what comes first? The baby, right? Floating in the Nile. It's through these foolish, small things that God is trying to give us a flicker of hope in the night. And so though Abraham has not received in its fullness all the things that God has promised him, God is going to give him a, a foretaste, an assurance that his promises are good. If you were to look in Genesis 23, 7 through 18, you'd see that God gives him a foretaste by giving him a burial plot among the Hittites. See, Abraham is a foreigner. He had no right to buy land at all. In fact, they wouldn't really even sell you land, but God gives him this small sliver of land, this small cave in this small field to bury his wife. And it was a foretaste. Hey, Abraham, I haven't forgotten my promise. I know you're an old man and I know you're going to die. But I haven't forgotten what I told you. And in Genesis 24, the same thing happens. Abraham makes his servant, hey, promise me that you will not Get a wife for my son among these pagans. And this no-name servant, we don't even know his name, is the means by which God brings encouragement to Abraham. And this faithful servant, who's a person of faith and his hope is in God, goes to Abraham's people. And through these providential 
crazy things that he prays. God, whatever woman comes out here and offers me a drink of water and then offers me to feed my camels, that'll be the one. And then the faith of Rebecca. I mean, it wasn't like Abraham's relatives were not pagans as well. They just weren't as bad of pagans. But Rebecca, by faith, leaves her family and goes back with this servant to marry Isaac to comfort him. And you know, throughout the whole account of chapter 24, God's not even mentioned really. It's like he's just behind the scenes and God is just working and moving. And what God wants us to understand from this passage is that God's promises don't hinge on our ability. God's promises, they don't hinge on our availability. His promises don't hinge on our vitality. His promises hinge on Him. See, He wants Abraham to realize, hey, Abraham, I've got this. As you look throughout the Old Testament, you'll see Joshua 1.1 after the death of Moses. And it'll go on a little further and it'll say Judges 1.1 after the death of Joshua. And it'll go on down the line in 2 Samuel 1.1 after the death of Saul and after the death of David and after the death of all these people that we would consider blue chippers, right? God's like, I don't need you. I've got this. And what God wants us to understand is, yes, He, he uses us. And He's gracious to give us these little flickers that His promises are good. Abraham, I haven't forgotten that I told you I was going to give you this land, the promised land. And right before you die, I'm going to give you just a small piece, just so you'll know, and I'm going to continue to be faithful to my promise. But Abraham, I don't need you or Sarah or Noah or anyone else to accomplish my promises. But what I want you to hear tonight is hear this. God has bound himself to you, Christian. Just like God bound himself to Abraham as he walked through those pieces of animals divided in half, and he made that covenant with Abraham, so God has bound himself to you through the sacrifice of Christ. God has bound himself to you, and though we are fragile and we are sojourners, God's promises are going to be accomplished in your life. God's promises are going to be accomplished in the world. God is going to bring His heaven to earth. And He's going to gather His people to Himself. God is going to daily provide for you. 
But just like Abraham and Sarah, right, we have common sorrows. We have disappointments that roll into our lives like the waves on the seashore, right? Like every day there's things that happen. Every day there's things that come. Every day there's disappointment and there's struggles and there's battles. And then we're like, God, where is this sanctification at? Where is this becoming more like Christ at? And oftentimes we're looking for these big things and God gives us these little providential things into our life. I remember this. I remember in junior college playing baseball, small junior college at Okaloosa Walton Community College. Now I think it's Northwest Florida State College. But I was playing and it was my sophomore year. I was having a really good year. Our team was in first place in the conference and I was pitching against a team that was like a game behind us. About the fifth or sixth inning, I think it was like two to three, a ball gets hit up the middle and it breaks my hand. And so at the beginning of the year, I thought I was going to get drafted by the Phillies. One of the guys had talked with me and said, hey, look, I think, you know, we really like the way you pitch. We may give you a shot at the end of this year. So immediately I'm thinking, well, that's done. And who's going to sign a person with a broke hand? But little did I know, God the whole time was behind the scenes and he was trying to get me to Troy University not to play baseball, it was just secondary stuff. He wanted to get me there so that a guy by the name of Tony Chester could start pouring into my life, teaching me God's Word, investing in my life, teaching me to walk by faith, teaching me to love my wife, teaching me to share my faith. But at the time, I had little, I didn't have any insight, you know, as a 20-year-old, of what God was doing. But God works But I also want us to see that a part of understanding the story of Abraham and Sarah and understanding your own story is to realize that me and you are not the focus. That we're not the focus of this story. We're part of this story. And God is very gracious to include us into his story. But we're not the focus of the story. And when we make ourselves the focus of God's story, it's a small pond. It's a small tributary. Quickly explored, shallow, when we make it about us. And so one of the things that the Lord is showing us through the life of Abraham is that it's about me. And it's about my promises. And it's about my kingdom. And I'm inviting you to be a part of that. I'm inviting you to trust me in that. You see, God invites us into his mighty Mississippi story, right? He invites us to take our little tributary and our little stream and to join him in what he's doing throughout the world. And God's story leads to these vast oceans of eternity. So that's what God wants us to understand as we look at Sarah and her death. God's saying, hey, listen, it's not really about Sarah. It's about my faithfulness. Oh, and by the way, Abraham, I don't really need you to go find a wife for Isaac. I'm going to find him a wife. In fact, I already know who she is. And I'm going to bring her back to you. 
And by the way, Abraham, when you breathe your last, not long from now, you can be assured that the promises that I've made you about a land, about a people, about owning the doorsteps of your enemies, it'll all come true. And I'm going to give you a little foretaste. I'm going to give you a little piece of land so that you know that. I'm going to let you see Isaac get married, just so you know. I've got this, Abraham. I've got this. I want to encourage you tonight to fold your story into the story of God. Don't make it about you. Fold your life into the glory of God. You know, I was thinking if all the, you know, you hear all the stuff, the church is closing and so many churches are closing every year. And I mean, it's pretty astronomical. Do you know if every church in America closed tonight and never opened again? That God's promises are going to continue? See, I don't, I don't think we really get sometimes who God is. And God wants us to know from the story of Abraham, yes, I love you, Abraham, and you are my child, and I will use you. But you are not the focus. But the encouragement for you and I tonight is this. You know the little servant <laughs> that we don't even know his name that the Lord used to go and find Isaac's wife? Well, that's most of us, right? The no names. We're not Colby Bryant. We're not Shaquille O'Neal. We're not these famous people. But God is using people, servants, all throughout Scripture to be a part of this great work that He's doing around the world. And to be a part of that and to realize that God has invited me into His story. What a joy that is as God's people. So as you, as you think about and ponder the life of Abraham as we studied over these 13 chapters, realize it's really not about Abraham. And realize in your own life, in my own life, it's really not about me. It's really not about my sermons. It's really not about my family. It's really about what God's doing around the world. But be encouraged, right? Because no matter where you are in your journey, and you're like, God, am I ever going to be sanctified? God, are you ever going to complete the work you started in me? God, are you ever going to be able to use me? And just like Abraham, God told Abraham, I got this. I got this. Let's pray.